The word for today is faith, and there are three things I need to tell you right up front. One, not one writer of the New Testament ever uses the word faith. None of them. That's because faith is an English word, and the writers of the New Testament wrote in Greek. And that's not just a clever little play, but if we're going to understand what they meant, we can't be using Webster's Dictionary in our own vocabulary, but understanding what they meant. Second, of the writers who do use that Greek word that we translate as faith, they don't use it the same way. There's a diversity of theologies of faith, much like there is in this room. So, for instance, in the Gospels, Jesus will describe it as a kind of a power, so potent that if you had just this much, like a mustard seed, that's enough to move a mountain. The writer on the Hebrews, on the other hand, is a little bit more subdued. He, he says, no, it's more like a hope or an assurance that what God has promised is going to happen even though it doesn't look like it. You know, like Abraham and Sarah in the senior citizen home and they're going to have kids, sure. But they do, by faith, believe that and it happens. And that, for the writer to the Hebrews, is faith. The third thing is that nobody has more to say on the subject than Paul, and especially in Romans, although it's not real easy read. You know Romans? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of hard. I mean, even in these two verses, Paul uses the word four times. For those who have faith, from faith to faith, for the righteous shall live by faith. Repeating a word four times does not clarify. If there were a fourth thing, it would be quite simply this. These two verses changed world history, even yours. The fact that you're sitting in a Protestant church. So normally we back up 2,000 years, but we really only have to back up 500, so piece of cake, right? Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic priest, monk, and he grew up believing in God. Everybody did. It was just a given. But what he couldn't quite fathom is, how can a person be right with God? How can you be on good terms with God? And with that, he struggled. He confessed his sins, but it wasn't sexual immorality or anything like that. It was of the intellect. He, his, his struggle was, how can we know that the teachings of the church and of the Bible, how can we know that it's right? Even when he posted his 95 theses protesting the church and the pope, he, he wasn't even convinced of all of those. He was wrestling. And then he had his moment. Believe it or not, he was reading Romans on the toilet. I'll come back to that in a minute. And he got to these two verses, and the world changed. He, he said it was as the gates of paradise opened up before him, and he suddenly realized God is not some big scorekeeper, and there's not a, a book that has the pluses and the minuses, and it's not that God rewards evil for evil and good for good. It is that we're made right by God's gift. It's a gift. Martin Marty, the theologian, says that it's really fitting that Luther bothers to tell us he was on the toilet because as far as Luther was concerned, sin is a big mess, but that it can be flushed away by faith, which still doesn't explain what the word means in Paul. 
Quite simply, it means trust. You trust. But it turns out it's a little bit more complicated. So there is this Greek word, a noun, that gets translated faith, and we kind of say, okay, yeah, I got it, trust. And so because it's a noun, it's something you have. But the New Testament also uses the verb form. And unfortunately, a lot of translations, when they use the verb form, they change it to believe. You hear the difference? Believe. That's something that happens in your brain. You know, you, you believe. So do you believe in UFOs? you got to use your brain. Do you believe in the healing power of pyramids? Or do you believe in... People sometimes ask me, so do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? I mean, literally believe? Well, I believe a lot of things with my head. But that's not this word. This word, we, we need a new word. And I, I have a candidate for you. You know how you can take the noun bath and make it into a verb by putting an E on the end? You bathe. Well, if you took the word faith and you put an E on the end, to faith, it's to trust and the New Testament describes it not as something that happens in the brain, but more in the gut. We trust. We give ourselves to God and say, I trust you. When we were in Israel, Carla, every morning as we got on the bus, would do a morning devotional. She'd grab that little microphone and she was reading excerpts from Frederick Beekner, one of our favorite writers. If he has a theme to all of his writing, it is quite simply, pay attention to what's happening in your life. Because you can, you can have a religious moment just paying attention. So, for instance, Beekner tells a story about when their daughter was battling an eating disorder, and she was losing the battle. And, you know, parents, when they can't do anything for their kids, I mean, it's just so such a powerless feeling and so he went for a drive he was depressed he pulled off on the side of the road and just hung his head in despair and then a car out of nowhere came with a vanity license plate and the one word on it he most needed from God it said trust and he took that as gospel turns out it belonged to a trust officer at a bank which Beekner thought you know that's pretty good God's little joke and yet and yet, he thought, that's the word I need. I don't know what it is that keeps you up at night or puts your digestive tract in knots, but maybe that's the word you need this day, to trust God. Well, it turns out it's a little bit complicated. Most things are. When Luther got around to translating the Greek New Testament into German so that everybody could read it, he had a dilemma. The Greek was capable of being ambiguous and Germans very precise. And Luther knew that and he wanted to keep the ambiguity, but he couldn't do it. And, and so he, he translated and, and it's a little bit complicated, but believe it or not, it has a Kansas City connection. I know you're wondering, how is that possible? Well, here it is. Every November... 10,000 Bible scholars convene somewhere in America, and in 1991, it was Kansas City. This meeting has gone down in lore for two reasons. One, and you can ask any of the scholars, it was nasty weather. Not raining, 
it was snowing in November and it was very cold. And in 1991, downtown had very little infrastructure. In fact, most of the scholars will tell you there was one restaurant. And so if you ask them, hey, how'd you like to go back to Kansas City? Not on your life. The second thing, though, that happened at this meeting was a debate about Paul's understanding of faith. And it was a watershed moment. The, the Greek says something like this, faith, Christ, which of course needs a preposition, right? Well, the traditional one and the one person who argued it said, it's obvious, it's faith in Christ. We put our faith in Christ. We've read it that way forever. That's what it means. But the challenger said, I, I'm not so sure. Because it could just as well read the faith of Christ. Or the faithfulness of Christ. What if instead of the New Testament's always talking about, do you have faith in Christ? It is trusting in the faithfulness of Christ. In other words, it's not about us and our faith and how much we have. It's about the faithfulness of what God has done in Christ. And that's trust. And it's a gift. Some of you will remember the story. I've told it before about how when I came to faith, there's that word again, I was that long-haired surfer hippie in college. I know you have to use your imagination. <laughs> but I came to faith... And very shortly thereafter, I remember I was in the parking lot and I could spy these two Christians coming. It was really obvious, white shirt, black tie, and a Bible. And they were going to, you know, beat me up with the gospel. That's what they do, right? Except for the first time ever, I was going to get to say, yes, I'm a Christian. So I waited for their little quiz, you know, and then I said, well, actually, I'm a new Christian. And they said, I don't think so. And they pulled out this little obscure verse about men having long hair, a disgrace to God, and I felt, you know, about this big. But the bigger takeaway for me was not just these two, but so many others that I encountered. Maybe you have too. They appoint themselves as gatekeepers. They have the interpretation. And you've got to say the word faith the way they say it. And you've got to say this prayer this way. And you've got to mean this. And, and it's like they've got the secret decoder ring and the membership card. And you might not get in. Have you ever encountered that? What if it's not our faith, but the faithfulness of Jesus Christ? When we were in Israel... I told a story that Fred Craddock used to tell that happened in Israel. He was with a group of scholars, and they'd gone over, and they were getting ready to go into the room that people claimed to be the upper room where Jesus had the Last Supper. And there was a group in front of them, a tour group, with their guide, and their guide said, this is the very room where Jesus had the Last Supper, and this is the very table, and this is where he stood, and you know, it's almost as if he'd said, and this is the bread, it's still here. And so they waited for that group, they cleared out. Fred's group trundled in, scholar in front of them said, uh, you know, it's probably in the room, not even a chance. And I mean, who knows if he, Jesus had a last supper, we don't think this was the table. And just shot holes in everything. And, and Fred whispered, gosh, makes you wish you were with that other group, doesn't it?
I think in some ways he was half joking. I think those two groups in a way symbolize two responses to faith. See if they sound familiar. There is the person, and maybe you're in this room, who, who would consider yourself skeptic, maybe even cynic. You know, arms crossed, I don't know. I, I just don't think you should have to check your brain at, at the door to become a Christian, all this intellectual mumbo-jumbo. I get it. But I am never troubled when someone has hard questions. That, that's, no sign of, that's not a sign of a lack of faith. The theologian Anselm said that it's faith-seeking understanding. It starts with faith, but there is a seeking after. Using your brain, it's perfectly fine. Biblical scholar James Sanders once said he was grateful to God for the people who taught him that the tomb is empty, but that his head need not be. The other group, and maybe you're in that group, is the group that says, I, I need it to all hold together. I need it to all be literally true. And if one little thread comes undone, I, I don't know if I can take it. I mean, I, I, I get that. You know, our church, in its wisdom, if you join, asks two questions. Do you trust in God? And do you trust in God as revealed in Jesus? And that's enough. Yeah, that, that's enough. You know how sometimes they'll have this little jar of marbles or buttons or whatever, and you're supposed to guess how many is in there? I'm horrible at that, by the way. I'll, I'll put like 84, and it'll be 300, or I'll put 300, and it's 3,000, whatever. I'm terrible at it, but I wondered how many mustard seeds can fit in a jar. Now, it depends on the size of the jar. I'll grant you that. But it's tiny. It's a tiny little seed. And the Bible says if, you, if you've got this much, you've got enough. How much would you have guessed was enough? 